First Lady, Hillary Clinton wrote a book called It Takes a Village. And uh, I never thought I'd be referring to a Hillary Clinton book in church, but nonetheless, here we are. But the book was actually based on what was purported to be an African proverb. Now, nobody's ever been able to really prove where that came from, but uh, that's where it's supposed to come from. And the premise of the book was that it takes more than just the immediate family to raise a child, that there are a lot of other influences in the life of that child. And, and I think the, pre- the overall premise of the book is, is good in that sense. But the problem from my perspective is that, that Hillary Clinton, she considered the village to be the federal government. And the book was really used to try to, to sell us all on the fact that we needed the federal government intervening in all areas of our life in order to, in order to, to raise our children. And I think that there's a problem in that. But the premise itself, like I said, I, I think it's a fair premise that we do have all kinds of influences when we raise children. And so in a sense, it does take a village. And, and in a sense, the same thing is true in the church that we need a village to come alongside us and to help us to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. We live in a culture where more and more we've become isolated. And that's not just true within the church. It's true in every area of our lives. I've shared this before, and I still hold to it, that one of the worst inventions ever, in my opinion, is the garage door opener. And the reason for that is it allows us to go in and out of our homes with ever, without ever having to interact with another human being. And, and this, the church is not immune to that whole idea. You know, it's easy for us even in the church to get isolated. And the, the whole COVID thing has really made that even more of a possibility, hasn't it? I mean... You know, a little over a year ago, we had to go to a fact where, where a lot of us could only join us online. And that's, that's great. I'm glad we had the technology to do that. But it's certainly not the ideal. And, and as we're going to see this morning, as we look at the Scriptures, that's not the ideal for the church is for us to all just kind of try to do things on our own and to be a, a, a Lone Ranger Christian. We live in a world where more and more there are people who claim to be Christians but claim that they don't need the church or that they don't have to be part of a local body like this in order to grow in their relationship with God. And, and that really breaks my heart, to be real honest, because it, it certainly doesn't match up with Scripture and it doesn't match up with the way that the early church operated. So this morning we're going to continue in our current sermon series, which we're calling uh, Living in Light of Eternity. We're looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church there just a few months after he had planted the church and, and he'd been forced out of town. And He writes back to this young church to help them to grow in their relationship with Jesus as they wait for the return of Jesus. And so there, we're learning some very good and practical lessons as we've been uh, been going through that over these last weeks. And so we're going to continue to do that this morning. Um, we're going to pick up this morning in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, where we kind of left off last week. And so let me go ahead and uh, read that for us, if I can do that here. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, 
in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. So here's here's kind of the main idea that I want us to pull from this passage today. Really pretty simple. It takes a village to develop a mature disciple of Jesus. It takes a village to de- develop a mature disciple of Jesus. And before we kind of dig into to some of the meat of this passage this morning, what I want to do is to kind of ask you to step back for a minute and look at this passage overall. The first thing I want you to do is scan through the passage and look at the pronouns there. I, you guys know what pronouns are, right? Grammar lesson. And as you do that, Look at them first from from Paul's perspective. As he writes, there's only a couple of places where he uses singular pronouns, first-person pronouns, I and me. Most everywhere he writes there, it's always we and our and us. I think sometimes we get the idea that for Paul, ministry was this uh, kind of Lone Ranger thing, but it's not. As you read his letters, you find out over and over that, that Paul always ministered with a team of other people. That as he made disciples, it was all about having a, a, a team of people that could do that together. And then notice the audience. He refers to them as you. And every single time that there's a you in this passage, it's a plural you. So For people like Joel, you just put y'all in there and it'd be good. So that's how you figure that one out. And even in Greek, uh, we don't have this so much in English, but in Greek, even verbs can be singular or plural. And in this passage, almost all the verbs are plural. So when you put all that together, you get the idea here right off the bat that it does take a village to make a mature disciple of Jesus. It's never just a one-on-one thing. It's not something that we're supposed to do in isolation. We need each other in order for that to happen. The second thing that I want you to see here, and we see it really everywhere that we read any of Paul's letters, is that Paul was not just interested in making converts. He was interested in making disciples. He, wasn't just, he didn't just go into Thessalonica and say, hey, here's all the doctrine, here you are, pray a prayer, raise your hand, and you're good to go, and now I'm just going to leave you, and I'm going to go on to the next city and just kind of leave you to be. He was always interested in making disciples, and even when he couldn't go back to Thessalonica, he sends Timothy back. He writes a letter because he's so concerned about these, these Christians that they would grow up. And... I can't help but think here of what we usually call the Great Commission. Remember Jesus, at, before He ascends and goes to the Father, He gathers His disciples there on the mountaintop. And in Matthew chapter 28, He says this, 
to his disciples. And Jesus came to the, and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and what? Make what? Disciples of all nations, baptiz- baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus didn't say, go and make converts. He says, go and make disciples. And he says, the way that you do that is you don't just teach them a bunch of information. You teach them to observe and to live their lives according to all these things that I've said when I'm with you. And so that's what Paul does. That's his heart, is he doesn't want to just make converts. He wants to make disciples, and he knows in order to do that that it takes a whole village to do that. So this morning, I want to spend a few minutes talking about what is a... What does a disciple-making village look like? And there are five characteristics of things that a people in a disciple-making village do. And there are things that, that my prayer is that we would become as a body. I think some of these things we do pretty well already. But there's some other areas where I think we could improve. And all of us can have a part in that. So here's the first thing that happens in a disciple-making village is that the people are with one another. Or maybe I ought to say it like this. They're with one another and they actually like it. I mean, look at Paul here. He's, he's talking about, he says, man, I just desire to be with you face to face. He couldn't do that, but that was his desire to do that. Earlier in, that, in chapter 2, he had said that he affectionately desired them. You see, Paul understood that there was a value in, in being together as a body. And Paul was prevented from doing that, as we're going to talk about in just a moment. So he has to find some other ways to help these Christians to grow in their faith. But that was his desire. It reminds me a lot of what we've gone through over the last year or so, right? There was a time when we couldn't meet in person. And a lot of you had to join us online. And I'm so thankful for the technology that that allowed that to happen. But here's my fear. There have been some studies that have been done that show that that people have gotten really comfortable watching church at home in their pajamas. And that a lot of them say they probably won't go back to church even when they can. Because it's a lot easier just to to hang out at home and kind of do things when you want or, or even watch it later. And that's a shame because we need that that ability to be with each other and to grow as we gather together within a body like this. And I understand there's some reasons why some people are still joining us online right now and aren't with us, but I'm really looking forward to the day when we can all be back together again, even though there's some limitations on what we have to do now, right? They make it harder to have the kind of fellowship that we'd like to have. But there's something valuable valuable about being together in person. So I just want to encourage you, you know, to, to the extent you can do that, we would love to have you back here again with us in person because that's the best. I, I got to tell you, when we, were, when we first went to online only, it was the hardest thing I think I've ever had to do in ministry in a lot of ways. I know Ryan would tell you the same thing, that sitting up here and preaching to a camera with like five other people in the building is not a, not a great way to do ministry. 
worship team would tell you the same thing. Getting up here and trying to sing to an empty room is a hard thing to do. So, so if we're going to be a disciple-making village, the first thing that we have to do is we have to be spending time with each other. And if you can't do that here in this big group on Sunday morning, find a way to do it with some other Christians throughout the week. The second thing that happens is that the, the people persevere with one another. And Paul makes it really clear here, and we've talked about this time and time again, that being a disciple of Jesus doesn't make everything just become easy, right? It doesn't make everything comfortable. Paul talks about it here. He says, we warned you when we were there, you're going to suffer affliction. There's going to be opposition. I mean, Paul himself, he was, he was run out of town there, and he couldn't come back, which is why he has to send Timothy in his place, so he can't even come back there and do what he wants to do. And he says to the people there, he says that Satan hindered me from coming back to you, even though I wanted to. And, and we don't have a whole lot of time to spend on that this morning and go into it in depth. I don't think what Paul is saying is there's a devil behind every bush kind of thing. But here's what I think he's saying. He's saying that, that what Satan wants to do, he wants to hinder us from being together because he knows that's the best thing for us. He knows it's much harder to pick off one lone sheep that's by itself than it is to pick off a sheep that's part of a flock. And so he was trying to hinder Paul and others from going back and, and being with the people there. And, and, and even when Paul sends Timothy back there, Paul says, that left me alone. He says, I sent Timothy, now I'm alone in Athens. And I, I think that had to be really hard on Paul. I know I've been in a situation where I was in ministry, where I was pastoring a church where Really, there was no support group around me, and that's a hard way to minister. So I'm thankful for these, the elders that we have in this church and, and others that come alongside and help to make ministry a joy here because we can all persevere together. And then he says something. He says, I pray that Satan won't tempt you and draw you away from the church. And again, Satan knows if he can just tempt us, if he can get us alone, that he can... He can cause us to be drawn away from the church. I know that Satan does a pretty darn good job of that because over the years I've observed how well he does that. It breaks my heart how many times within the body of Christ when somebody is hurting, when somebody's going through affliction, when they're going through hard times, how instead of embracing the body that they withdraw and they isolate themselves. And that's, that's exactly the opposite of what we need to do when we're hurting. We need each other to persevere when things are difficult. The third thing that happens in a disciple-making uh, village is that the people value one another. I love how, uh, how Paul describes Timothy here. He says he's my brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. He valued Timothy. He valued those who, who ministered with him. Now, I can just imagine what some people might write in that situation. I mean... It would have been real easy for Paul to write something like this to the people there in Thessalonica. You know, Paul was not an apostle. He doesn't have near the education that I have, but he's the best guy that I've got, so I'm going to go ahead and send him to you because he's better than nothing. But he doesn't do that. He, he, he understands that Timothy has some gifts and abilities and talents that even he doesn't have. 
And he's a valuable member of that team. And it reminds us of the fact that within the body of Christ, that we're all equally valuable to the mission of this local church here. That each and every one of us play an indispensable part in making sure that we can be effective in taking the gospel to the world around us. And some of those things might be more visible, like what I do or what the worship team does, but they're no more important, no more valuable than the rest, what everyone else does. So we need you to be a part of this village here that we call Thornydale Family Church if we're going to be effective in carrying out the mission that God has given to us. Fourth thing we see here is that in a disciple-making village, the people encourage one another. Paul says, I sent Timothy to you because I want him to establish and exhort you in your faith. He understood that he couldn't just leave the people there with a good doctrinal foundation that he'd given them. I mean, Paul had given them a solid doctrinal foundation. But they still needed to be encouraged in their walk with Jesus each and every day. To a large degree, that's what Ryan and I do when we get up here and preach. I mean, let's, let's face it. When we get up here and preach, we're not sharing usually anything with you that's revolutionary, right? Anything that you've never heard before. All we can really do is to help you to, to remember the things that you already know. And to live your life in accordance with those things on a day-to-day basis. And hopefully along the way, one of the ways that we encourage you is we give you some practical things that you can do. Some ways that you can make some changes in your life that will, that will enable you to do that. But frankly, we're not you know, really giving you a whole lot new. But that's only one way that we can encourage other, each other. We all need to do that in our daily lives. And every one of you in here is capable of encouraging someone else within this body. And you can do that everywhere that you are. You, can, you ought to be doing that in your marriages. Husbands and wives, you ought to be encouraging each other. You need to do that if you're a parent with your children. You need to encourage them. Kids, you need to do that in school with the other kids around you. You need to encourage them and lift them up and build them up. We need to be doing it with certainly within the, the walls that we gather together here and with other believers as we spend time with them. We need to be doing it in our neighborhoods, in our communities. We can all do that. Now, because she's not here this morning, I'm going to go ahead and embarrass someone. If you guys know Susan Hawthorne, Susan Hawthorne is the best encourager that I've ever known. And if you've been around her for even a few minutes... You know that with a simple word or with a text or with an email or whatever it might be that that Susan is a great encourager of people. And frankly, we could use a whole lot more Susans within this body. That would make us much more effective in being the kind of disciple makers that we need to be. Finally, the last thing that we want to do is that we want to celebrate one another. I mean, Paul's already done that early on in his letter. He says, I give thanks for you. You guys are a tremendous influence in the whole region around you because of the way you're living your lives. And there, here in this section, he calls, him, calls the people there our glory and joy. Paul took great joy in the fact that these people were growing in their relationship with God, and, and he wanted to celebrate that. 
And we can do the same thing within this body. As a matter of fact, we try to do that the very best that we can. That when people take steps in their walk with Jesus, we want to celebrate that with them. We want to celebrate those spiritual milestones that people have. That's why this afternoon we're going to gather together and we're going to, we're going to be part of three people who are going to be baptized as a public expression of their faith in Jesus Christ. And we want to celebrate that. And we want to celebrate the other milestones that people reach. That, that is how we can grow together as a body and help people to become those mature disciples that they need to be. So we've seen this morning that it takes a village to develop a mature disciple of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews wrote some familiar words, words that are probably familiar to a lot of us, that I think kind of wrap up everything that we've been talking about here this morning. We have the words posted right out on the wall when you come in here every week. It's from Hebrews chapter 10. And here's what he writes. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing here near. What he's saying is this. As the day of Jesus Christ returning to this earth draws near, things are going to get tougher and tougher and tougher. And the more that happens, the more we're going to need each other. So we better get in the habit right now of being with each other, of valuing each other, of encouraging one another, and doing all the things that we've talked about this morning because we're going to really need that. So as we close our time this morning, I want to invite everyone to be an integral participant in this village here that we call Thornydale Family Church. I know many of you are already doing that. Thank you for being a part. Thank you for taking an active role, for doing the things that we've talked about this morning. But even for you, as I've spoken this morning, as we've looked at the Scriptures, it's very possible that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your human spirit and leading you to understand that maybe there's something you could do more to contribute to helping to make mature disciples here at Thornydale Family Church. And if that's the case, we invite you, we encourage you to follow God's leading in your life. Perhaps there are some of you here this morning, though, that are kind of on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you're just kind of dipping your toes into the water. Maybe you just happen to tune into us this morning online for the first time. Or maybe you've been joining us week after week online, but you've never taken the time to actually come and to be part of, a, of an in-person worship service. And if that's the case, I want to encourage you to go all in. If you've never been here before, to come for the first time, or maybe if you haven't been here in a long time, to rejoin us again. Because you need us, and we need you. And so if there's anything that we can do to help you to become an active part of this village right here, we are here for you. From you, for you. And as we close the message in just a moment, I'll let you know how you can let us know that we can help you help us. Several weeks ago, uh, Mary was driving her car when all of a sudden the check engine light came on. And all of a sudden the car just, it just started running horribly. 
I mean, as long as you were driving flat or downhill, it would kind of get you there. But if you had to go up a hill, it struggled. And if you guys have ever been to our house, you know there's a big hill right up to our house. And it was really struggling to get up that hill. So uh, we took it to the mechanic, and they did all the diagnostics and stuff. And they said, well, here's the problem. One of your cylinders isn't firing at all. So essentially, our six-cylinder car was a, now a five-cylinder car. And it didn't operate the way that it should. And as I thought about that, I think that's a pretty accurate picture of what our little church right here looks like sometimes. I mean, it's operating. We're doing some good things. There's ministry going on. But it's only operating on maybe five cylinders out of six sometimes. But here's the good news. They were able to find out with our car that it was a coil that needed to be replaced. And as soon as they replaced that thing, car's running great again, all six cylinders. And we can do the same thing here as a church. But we need to have everyone's participation. We need to have you doing what God has called you to do so that we can fire on all the cylinders that God wants us to do here. And my prayer for all of us is that we'll do, each of us will do our part. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful that you have placed us in a village of other disciples so that we can grow there. I thank you for each one of these people who's here today and the the contribution they've made to my own spiritual growth as well as to the growth of others that are with us. And my prayer is for each of us, Father, that we would look to see how we might be even better members of this body that we call Thornydale Family Church. I pray for those who right now maybe aren't contributing like they should, that you would encourage them to do that. And for those who already are, that you would encourage them to keep on doing that. And Father, for those who might need, need to make decisions for you for the first time, that you would cause them to do that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.